0: We are not here to do things perfectly, but we are here to learn from each other and to grow with lots of self-love and compassion along the way. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. And today I'm talking to Kimberly Page. Kimberly and I met uh, last year in a business coaching program, and recently she posted something on Instagram. That really struck me and I immediately reached out to her and I'm like, I have to have you on the podcast to talk about this. So first off, Kimberly is actually a master's level therapist and personal development coach. She has received in-depth training in systems like CBT or cognitive behavior therapy, um, DBT and the Enneagram and holds certifications in both fitness and nutrition. Kimberly's passion for her work really stems from her own continuing process of personal development. And she really feels a strong pull to share what she's learned with others and help them create a life infused with meaning and purpose. This really comes through in all of her messaging. And this, this episode is more of a conversation as opposed to an interview that was actually Kimberly's request. She wanted to, to have more of a conversation around this and to really dig in, uh, have both of us dig in from each of our personal experiences to get to the bottom of a lot of the topics that we're talking about today. So the, one of the the topics that started this entire thing was the Instagram post that she put up about good girls don't grow into good women. They grow into resentful women. I'm like, girl, I gotta have you on the podcast to talk about this. (laughs) So we're talking about what that entails Taking responsibility for our own actions, balancing that against taking responsibility for others when it's not necessarily ours to take on. We're also talking about busting the lie of fine and that it's okay to want more than what you have how the battle between inner good girl and bad girl or so-called each of those (laughs) has shifted her confidence as well as the Enneagram. If you don't know anything about the Enneagram, don't worry. We're going to explain that and living up to your full potential. There is really just a really fascinating amount of uh, information that we covered in this episode and i'm really excited for you to hear it I actually shared a lot more personal stories in this one than I thought I was going to um i, I felt like i felt like Kimberly was almost accidentally therapying me because i <laughs> i was coming out with things that i i was not expecting to discuss and and memories that i hadn't even thought about in a really long time so This is really, really interesting. And I'm super excited to get in with this. And for anything referenced in this episode, make sure to jump over to roomtogrowpodcast.com for all the details. Kimberly, thank you so much for coming on. Emily, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Girl, I am pumped about this. I'm so excited. We have so much to talk about. And so funny when you um, said, I'd already asked you to be on the podcast and you sent me your bio and you mentioned a few things in your bio that I didn't even know you had kind of a, a background in and I got even more excited. So let's, let's dive into this. Tell us all about you and some of your background and, and, um, how you ended up doing what, what you're doing now. Okay. Well,
1: um, I'm a counselor. A mental health counselor is my background. It's not my first career, but <laughs> if we got too far back, that could be like the whole, uh, the whole podcast. So <laughs> Uh, I've been a mental health counselor, I've been in private practice since 2013, and I love counseling, it's been amazing, and I also am just finding that I'm just, I'm mostly attracted to like the personal growth, the personal development side, and that comes out in counseling, but I really want to, that's where I really want to focus all my energy, so I'm kind of moving from being a mental health therapist to being a personal development coach is kind of my, my path right now. And I've, I think I've been in that transition for a while, but it's really starting to come into play now where I'm doing a lot more coaching, doing less counseling, and it feels
0: really good. So, I love it. That's awesome. Well, yeah. you actually called yourself, uh, you. I, I noticed that you've started calling yourself a self realization coach. So tell, tell us a little bit about that. Okay. I
1: mean, that to me just, I was like looking for personal development coaches and other, I kind of use them interchangeably, but self-realization, I feel like, I mean, that's, that's what I'm here to do is to be my, to become the best version of myself. And I just get so excited with helping other people on that path. I mean, I'm, I'm not there yet by any stretch, but I just love kind of having people sort of learn to to just break some of the rules that we all live by and start to do the things that just feel right for
0: them, like to kind of come into their own. Mm, so good. And what, what really strikes me about that is breaking some of the rules that that we live by, what you just said, because I reached out to you initially, you and I have, have talked before, but I reached out to you initially about being on the podcast, after you posted on Instagram, a quote, um, good girls don't grow into good women. They grow into resentful women. And I was like, girl, yes. (laughs) So tell us more about that because to me, that's all about breaking the rules. And I really want to get your perspective on this and to really dig into this topic because I just, I'm, I'm like, I was blown away when I saw that on Instagram. I'm like, I have to talk to her about this more because this is not being discussed anywhere that I can tell. And I, I really want to talk about this.
1: Right. I, I love that this resonated with you. I just, I see so many women who have played the good girl role. And I, I do see this in men too. This happens with men, but, but I see it more frequently with women. And we are just, most of us are just socialized to be this, this good girl. We're taught to like. Um, put others first and make others comfortable and be quiet and listen and don't don't put yourself out front too much play by the rules be be a good girl and I I, myself I was a total good girl I was like best little girl in the world good girl goody two-shoes good girl and I stayed that way until I was probably in my mid 30s. And then something shifted. And all of a sudden, I was just like, this is bullshit. You know, I just, I don't want to be this good girl anymore. I'm tired of people taking advantage of me because I'm nice. And I, I kind of just flipped a little switch and went went really kind of angry and aggressive for a while. So definitely that, that statement, good girls don't grow into good women, they grow into resentful women, was based on both my own experience and what I've seen in just working with a lot of different women.
0: Well, and, and a big part of this, I feel like is that people can end up taking advantage of that and the expectation, this is always so irritating to me, the expectation that we have of women to always be smiling and the negative association we have with them. If they don't, that, that's so, significantly differs from the expectations that we have from males. Like if yeah. I, if I walk down the street and look at a male, it doesn't surprise me. I, I I don't even bat an eyelash if he's not smiling. Whereas if you see a woman that is not smiling, we have all kinds of even nicknames for that, like resting bitch face. We yeah. don't say that about dudes. <laughs> we that all is, ever say that, that about know. women. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. And that, that
1: whole, you know, I don't know that that smile, put a smile on your face. That was definitely something, and I walked around with a smile on my face for a long time, and I'm still I'm still pretty smiley. But just you're right, that expectation that that's how women should present themselves as you know, always just being cheerful and uh, you know putting everyone else first. And I think the resentment starts to come when you recognize that you know, you're looking out for everyone else's needs and putting everyone else's needs above your own, but nobody's looking out for you, you know, and, and if, if you have that realization and then you kind of don't stop giving that, then the resentment definitely starts to come through.
0: Well, and how does, how does that manifest? Like, does that manifest through like stress and anxiety? Does that, what, what are some of the most common ways that that resentment can manifest in people?
1: Yeah, it, it can definitely manifest through stress and anxiety. Um, you know, when you're when you're the person responsible for taking care of everybody else, making sure everybody else is happy, and tracking other people's schedules and stuff. There's a lot of stress and anxiety that goes along with sort of being the person that's kind of the project manager of everybody else. So it definitely manifests there. I see it in anger sometimes in, in more. More likely than anger, maybe like kind of passive-aggressive behavior. Um, I can't think of a good example of that right now, but not not this outward anger, but this more passive-aggressive expression of it. And in depression too, um, anger sort of directed at the self. That's a lot of times I hear depression described that way: is is depression is anger or or other emotions just kind of turned inward toward ourselves.
0: And you know, it's funny, as you were saying that, for some reason this popped into my head and it's not even necessarily fully related. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure about the exact association, but there's, there's a saying that I have heard and I have no idea who originated this, but in my experience, it can be true. Now this is, this is being spoken in like heteronormative terms, but there's, there's a saying that I've heard about, if you see, if you see a crazy girl, Crazy being used loosely, obviously not in terms of like the clinical way. But if you see some uh, someone who's acting crazy, a female who's acting crazy, look one step behind her to see the guy that's making her behave that way. And again, this is this is a very heteronormative way of of uh, wording this. But how how do you feel about that? Because I feel like yeah. the reason why that just popped into my head is because it's sort of that that good girl thing and that we frown upon women that we feel like are behaving in a crazy way and blame them for that
1: yes I, I I have not heard that statement before and I don't know what I think about like like there's a there's like a man behind it but I do see like the culture behind it right I mean like when you see a woman acting crazy it's like she's acting out against all this sort of I'll use a strong word, oppression, right? Or these heavy, heavy expectations that we have on women to behave a certain way. And so I I think that when someone acts that crazy, they they feel kind of crazy, right? Like they're not really in control of the way they're acting out, but it's just the result of so much pressure over time. And that finally has to come out. Absolutely. Does Does
0: that make, does that,
1: relate
0: to what you're talking about? No, it does. It does for sure. And, and I don't even necessarily agree with that statement about, you know, if there's a girl acting crazy, look for the, for the dude behind her. But (laughs) I, I mean, because I'm also very much of the mind that we all take responsibility for our own actions and behaviors as well. So regardless of, of, you know, what, what your situation is, we still have to own how we're behaving, but some of that can be, recognizing some of these expectations that have been placed on us and how that might be molding or forming not only how we're behaving, but our opinions of how others are behaving as well. And I think that even just that, that step of recognition is really powerful in and of itself. Yeah, I do too. Just, just
1: seeing it. Right. I always like talk about like all processes of change begin with awareness, right? Because if you can't recognize it, if you can't see it, you're not going to be able to deliberately change it. It may change due to other things, but the awareness is required. The recognition is required so that you
0: can sort of move through that. Yes. And I mean, why do you feel that it is that women are so much more likely to be constantly apologizing too because this is sort of the other end of the spectrum like you know women acting crazy versus women you know we often feel like we always need to be apologizing and at least from personal experience i know that i have definitely been like that and and in the last few years i've made a very conscious effort to stop apologizing as much like i i'm actually planning an entire podcast episode on on this because I've been so conscious lately to not do things like apologizing in emails for taking thirty-six hours to get back to someone. When I'm like, you know, if it takes me thirty-six hours, it takes me thirty-six hours. If it took me three months, I would add an apology. (laughs) You would say you're sorry. (laughs) Right? Like thirty-six hours is nothing to apologize for. And there's kind of a running joke. I mean, I'm, I'm up here in Canada and there's a running joke that that's a Canadian thing that we apologize for everything. But I think that that's kind of bullshit and that we need to, yeah. again, take ownership of it and take ownership of our own words and actions because they all play a really big role. So that's a really long-winded way of asking you why you feel like uh, so many women are constantly apologizing and what do we do about that?
1: Yeah, no, I definitely will agree with you that it's not, it's not a Canadian thing. <laughs> And growing up, my mom would always threaten to charge me a nickel, a whole nickel, every time I said I'm sorry. But I said I'm sorry so frequently that the nickels I think she believed would have really added up and <laughs> would have been costly oh. to me. But I do definitely see that going along with the good girl theme, right? Like I see women apologizing, for, you know, in two ways, kind of like apologizing for things over which they have no control over. Um, you know, apologizing that somebody got stuck in traffic while coming to to visit you. you know, something you have no control over, but it's just I think goes back to kind of feeling like we have this responsibility to make others feel comfortable or to put others at ease or to make sure that other people are doing well. And then the other way that I see women apologizing, I think it's kind of more what you're talking about. We just apologize for being, for our existence in some ways. You know, we just apologize for any way we might have broken a rule or missed an expectation. And it could be about anything. Like, I'm sorry that I was too loud. I'm sorry that I was late. I'm sorry that it took me so long to get back to you. I'm sorry you don't like my hair. Whatever it is.
0: And you actually, parents, a really interesting story, also in on your Instagram, about uh, a guy. This is like when when you were a teenager. Thing I think I'll let you tell the story, but um, you you said that this guy reached over and like touched your leg and felt stubble and said "ew," and then you basically felt like you had to apologize to make up for his experience. Basically, right? <laughs> right. yeah. So tell about that, that because that right. You know what's funny? I have almost the identical experience I had and then and then I want to hear your story as well but I had I broke my ankle years ago and so I'd had a cast on and for you know the standard I don't remember six six weeks I think it was six or eight weeks and but I was still um, bartending and serving at this pub that I worked at the entire time so the regulars got used to seeing me with a with a walking cast on so when I finally got it off I have to say for anyone who's ever had a cast on it is fucking gross when you take it off. <laughs> like it's not cute. There was all kinds of dead skin and stuff, and obviously my leg hadn't been shaved in like weeks and weeks and weeks. So I was super grossed out by it, but I, I cleaned everything up and then I shaved my my leg and and all of that. And for some weird reason, I have no idea why, I went to work that night and one of the regulars then reached over and same thing as you, like touched my leg, and made a comment about. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something along the lines of, oh, I thought, I thought you would have shaved it after you got your cast off or something. And, <sighs> I, and I felt the need to explain that I had because it had literally like taken me an hour to clean up the situation. And I said, no, I, I did and, and all of these things. And it's because the skin is so rough, like there isn't any actual hair. What you're feeling is like rough skin because I exfoliated so much. I went into this, this long-winded explanation because I felt like I needed to. And at the end, I think I had actually embarrassed him more than I had embarrassed myself because he was like, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry you, you felt like you had explained all that. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and that was a lesson to me. I'm like, yeah, why did I need to explain all that? That was on me that I felt like I needed to do that and I shouldn't have had to. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wow. That's funny. That is a similar,
1: just the, you know, reaching out and touching somebody's body, right? Like, yeah. Like not okay, I mean, like- first off. Yeah. <laughs>
0: but yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on that because it's, you and I were also of of similar age when that happened. And if that happened now, I would have a very different reaction than I did then, but I still think that it's worth addressing because there's still, it's still instinctual at first to react that way, as opposed to, how I have consciously trained myself to react instead now. Yes,
1: and I do. I I think it's like an evolution, right? You have to relearn this sort of way of reacting. Like it it almost doesn't come instinctively, which seems a little strange, but yeah, definitely. So I'll, I'll really quickly, I'll tell my story. So when I was in college, I went to a movie night with a bunch of my roommates and a bunch of other students, and we were just sitting in a room, and I was sitting in a chair, and there was a guy that I barely knew, I don't know his name now, I may have known him at the time, and he was sitting on the floor next to me, and I was wearing this long skirt, like kind of shin length skirt, and he reached over and rubbed his, I did not know this guy, rubbed his hand up my My leg up my shin, and then he pulled his hand in a way, away, and kind of made this face of disgust and said, Ew, stubble. And I felt so humiliated like I was (laughs) what was wrong with me that I hadn't shaved my leg. I mean, of course, he was grossed out. He just reached over and touched my stubble, and it was like kind of that same reaction to you like, I didn't apologize to him. But the, the, my internal experience was that there was something wrong with me, that this was my bad. Um, I knew it wasn't okay for him to touch me, but I didn't slap him either. I just kind of moved
0: away. So. Well, what we should have done, right? Right, right. <laughs> well, how has this, this inner battle between good girl versus bad girl shifted the way that, that you view yourself and your confidence?
1: Oh this is a, that's a good question because it totally has shifted the way that I view myself and my confidence, but it was kind of a an ugly an ugly road to get there so I was i kind of like I said I think maybe earlier I kind of stayed in good girl mode until I was in my early to mid thirties and at the time I was um we both have a background in restaurants too I was a restaurant manager and something in me just, again, I was tired of being taken advantage of, you know, people wouldn't listen to me. Everybody knew I was nice and I was going to be on their side and I was going to be supportive. So kind of over just a really short period of time, I just got fed up with that and something clicked in me. I don't know what the trigger was. And all of a sudden I was just done. I was done being accommodating to everybody else. And I really became my personality really seemed to shift. And I was, I just told people what I thought. I was very bold. I was very outspoken. I was very reactive and angry and aggressive. So it wasn't like some of it was a positive shift, but a lot of it wasn't. It was like I went to the dark side and just really got kind of mean. I really did embrace my my bad girl side. And this lasted, it didn't last very long, you know, maybe a couple years. And, but it, it gave, I don't know how it propelled me into like this whole personal growth. I mean, that was maybe the whole catalyst to me becoming just so into this personal development because I saw my own personality shift like that. It made me really, really curious. And that's when I got interested in self-help, self-improvement. I went back to school and got my graduate degree in mental health counseling or counseling psychology was what the degree actually was. So it was a big, a big trigger for me to, I don't know, evolve myself, I guess. And now I don't think, I don't think I'm a, a bad girl or a good girl. I just, I'm just here, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and that's a really big shift. And I, I like that you, that you also pointed out, you know, some of the aspects of bad girl that are not necessarily great things to embrace because when we're actually being just super reactive and, and angry and, and mean, we have to kind of dig to the root of what's going on there too, because that's not, that's not a positive shift. That's just a shift in a completely different direction and might not make us feel good as individuals, regardless of what it does for anyone around us. That's probably right. not going to leave you feeling great at the end of the day either.
1: You know what it really reminds me of is what you said about the crazy, right? About the the when we see a crazy woman. That was kind of who I was during that period. I was that crazy woman who was just kind of doing crazy shit. And so I, I just wanted to tie that back in because I I don't think I was really aware of it when we were talking about it earlier.
0: Yeah, and, and I definitely went through that that same phase. Um mine was probably around. I would say around like 18 to 21 ish, somewhere around there. Um, I think that probably also tied in with my drinking to some degree. I was, I was a pretty heavy drinker at that age. If you want to hear more on that, you can reference uh, episode 54. Um, I talk all about my, my personal experience with alcohol and that it's actually been an incredibly popular episode. (laughs) Um, But I, I feel like that was related in some ways. But as my attitude shifted in all kinds of ways that ended up turning me off of drinking, it also turned me towards kind of regulating my personality so that I wasn't a good girl, but I was, I was, you know, like respectful of myself as well. And then that translated to a more regulated personality in interacting with others too.
1: Right. Yes, so I love that that you weren't a good girl, but you also weren't out of control, and yeah, yeah. So,
0: actually,
1: to be said for that,
0: you're you're bringing up like memories here. I'm having all kinds of memories of things. So this must be the therapist in you. It's like bringing things out of me. <laughs> Perfect, I love it. <laughs> I remember uh, my first boyfriend, and I was very very young. I was seventeen or eight, maybe maybe eighteen. I I might've been 18 by then. Um, but we, we all, we rented I rented a cottage because it was, uh, up North here. There's like a popular beach town uh, around here and a couple hours North and I rented a cottage that on paper, it was like me and a a whole bunch of most of my friends at that time were male. So it was me and like a couple other girls and, and a whole bunch of guys. We were all just like a big group of friends that all hung out a lot. And at the time, my like my boyfriend at the time was coming too, but we—I say boyfriend loosely because we'd only been dating for like three weeks. <laughs> so this is like not—we're not talking like long-term serious relationship here. But he, everyone was just absolutely completely intoxicated uh, for the entire week, weekend, week, however long it was. And I remember him saying in front of this big room full of people that included a lot of males um, about how attractive he'd found some girl on the beach. And I'm, I'm cleaning up the language because mm-hmm. there, there were words that he was using that I don't even really feel like repeating on this podcast. So he was using a rather lewd language and he was going on and on and on about it. Like this was not like a one, a one sentence thing. And the other guys in the room were egging him on. And I finally slapped him across the face mm-hmm. and he, I did. I slapped him across the face. Now, mind you, I was also drunk too, but I slapped him and he shut up, but then he also broke up with me. (laughs) And so that always has like stuck with me. And it's funny, I've seen him since. And like, you know, we'll give each other a hug or something. And like, everything is cool now because it's, things are completely different, but it, that has always stuck with me that he cited like that as being the reason why he broke up with me because I basically embarrassed him. Like I I I took the crazy the crazy card too far. Yeah. Essentially. So that's really speaking to me with this because I that was at my age where I was like kind of at where where other people might have looked at me and considered me to be crazy, essentially. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting to me that you went through that
1: so much earlier than I did, you know, age wise. Like it took me (laughs) I was I was really slow. Like it took me I wish I see I see younger women who aren't good girls who aren't in that and I just I have so much um, interest in how it is that they got to be that way at such a young age.
0: Well, and it is interesting because I was I was good girl to the max until about like fifteen or sixteen. And even then, you know, I still got like excellent grades in, in school and all of that stuff, but by then I was starting to drink quite a bit. And I was going to parties a lot more and stuff like that. But prior to that, I was like the kid who always had nose buried in my book. The other kids would actually make fun of me for saying that I was, you know, going to grow up to be a librarian, as though that was an insult. I'm like, okay, sign <laughs> me up. up like I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, you know, borderline, like a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a loner to some degree. I was kind of awkward, and I was always taller than all the other kids. I was just super, super, super awkward in all kinds of ways, but I sort of, it was like as soon as I even started to edge out of Good Girl, it's like I went straight to mm, conventional mm, yeah. Bad Girl. Yeah. Like yeah. I went straight from one to the other. There was no in between stage, which I think threw me into Bad Girl a lot heavier than I otherwise would have. And it was. I think that I just thought that that was my personality and I would almost be confused by myself sometimes. I'm like, well, what, what, wait, why am I acting like this? Yeah. Right? This? Is this oh, me? What's wrong with me? Yeah. <laughs> Who's that in the mirror? <laughs> no, I really do think, I
1: mean, I'm not saying that there's not a way to go from good girl to like a, a balanced sort of human being. But I think that that, that going into that bad girl state, for lack of a better phrase is it's almost a um, it's almost a quick path to being back into the middle. Like I think by going to the other extreme, it 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 will eventually bring you back to the middle. I don't know if this is true or not, but I mean, both of us had very similar experiences with this, and I have seen it a lot. So it, it makes like, logical
0: oh, sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes logical sense to me because it it almost forces you to regulate. Almost sooner than you would otherwise, because it's like if you ease in slowly, you might just keep going farther and farther and not realize that you've hit kind of the hey, other end of the spectrum. You've gone too far. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so interesting. Um, I wanted to ask you too about self care because I mean I talk a lot about self care in this podcast, and I love how uh, I recently saw that you sort of reframed self care as taking a break from re- from being overly responsible. Because that, that's really refreshing. And I know we've talked about that a few times already about kind of taking responsibility for our own actions, but not necessarily for everyone else. So can you explain that a little bit to us?
1: Yeah, sure. I'm, I am also a huge advocate for self-care. And I I, I, I don't know, maybe it's just because we just keep talking about it, but I just see such a theme here of like it being hard for women to make themselves a priority. And You know, it's not, it's not necessarily that other people are putting so much responsibility on us. It's that we just, we just tend to to pull it towards us. We just take on responsibility and then it can be really hard to feel like we can let go and be sort of, and when I say irresponsible, I just mean to drop that a little bit, to just decide for a weekend or an hour every Tuesday that you're not going to be responsible For anyone else, Um, are you familiar with the term the mental load? I've been writing about it a little bit lately, but it's it's not it's not my term, and it's not new. But do you know what I'm talking
0: about when I say that? I I have heard about it. I know a little bit, but yeah, if if you can explain it, like sort of at least how you define it, that would be awesome.
1: Yeah, so I, I think it originated. In fact, I'm sure it did with a a French comic named Emma, who wrote this comic strip that just basically showed this woman, like a friend comes over to a woman's house who has a baby with dinner. (laughs) This is going to be a bad story if I can't figure out how to tell it better. (laughs) Anyway, she's watching her friend who has a child and a husband, and the friend is cooking dinner and feeding the baby and cleaning things up and organizing things. And the husband's sitting, just, you know, talking to the guest and kind of watching TV, And then things go awry and a pot boils over and dinner is ruined and the husband comes in and he's like, well, what happened? What's going on? Why didn't you ask for help? And so kind of the whole theme of the mental load is this question of why didn't you ask for help? Well, who, who put you in the position of being so responsible that it's like the woman takes on the responsibility of doing all these things. And unless she asks for help from others,
0: Nobody else feels that same level of responsibility. Does that make sense? It does. It's actually really interesting because I feel like so many women can probably relate to that because I I think that's so common. I mean, I've definitely been guilty of that in various situations as well, that I feel like it's on me to take care of me plus everybody else. And I don't like asking for help because it makes me feel like I've failed. Right.
1: Like you couldn't hack it. You had to to show your weakness and ask for help. And I do want to point out again, I have seen this with men too. I have seen men in relationships, in heterosexual relationships as well, that they have taken on the mental load. So it's not just a a gender thing. It's just, again, because of the way
0: we're socialized, I think it shows up a lot more with women. A hundred percent. I could absolutely see that. Yeah, for sure. Well, and one of the, one of the fears that I, that I've um, seen you talk about, I was, I was going through your Instagram last night because um, I just kind of wanted to refresh myself on a few things that I wanted to ask you and and I'll make sure to link your Instagram and the show notes that everybody can go check you out because you've just been posting some absolute gold lately. And one of the things I noticed was that you feel that your biggest fear is not living up to uh, your full potential. And we share that fear. And that's something that drives me on a daily basis. And I would love to hear why that's so important to you and what steps you take to try and reach that potential every day. Mm. Well, I, I would say for one thing, I know, you know, I
1: know that you know a little bit about the Enneagram and I do think, and maybe we can talk about that part a little bit more later. I do think it's part of just my, my own personality to really be striving to want to be my best self and to really take self improvement very seriously, so um, I think that that just i don't know where else the drive comes from it doesn't it doesn't come from my family, and no one else in my family shares this trait of you know sort of always wanting to learn more and better myself and change the things that aren't working so i guess to answer the second part of your question like what do i what do i do to sort of not necessarily assure but to like move myself toward living up to my potential is um i read a ton and i uh, do things like i meditate every day i have a lot of rules quite honestly for myself that may not even be (laughs) entirely healthy but you know just like I like to have I like to work out every day I like to eat healthy I like to take care of myself and I think I'm pretty good now these days about practicing really good self-care and then I just love to learn and I love to I love to learn about myself I journal write every day too and that's I think that's a big one for for understanding yourself and, and you know maybe processing a lot of things to try to understand why you do the things you do or feel the way you feel.
0: does that answer the question? It does. and and it's funny. I, I found I have found journaling to be incredibly helpful. and I was never a journal writer. and i've I've talked about this a lot in the podcast too and and I really find that it can totally shift my entire day sometimes, particularly mm-hmm. it needs to be done like on a regular basis to get the maximum benefit out of it, I find. but It is especially helpful and basically cathartic when I'm feeling super frustrated or angry about something and I just let it all out, however Mm -hmm. long that takes, like one, two, three pages, whatever. And then I go to the next page and I write down why I'm grateful for each of those things. Even if it is so fucking painful to to find a reason why I'm grateful for some shitty thing that's going on like, no, I, there is gratitude in here and I have to dig it out because that is where I'm going to get the release. It's not just the release of letting go of all the negative stuff. You have to be able to find the good stuff to get the most benefit out of that. I so
1: agree with what you're saying because I think sometimes people get into trouble with journaling when they don't do that second step, right? And they just go and they kind of um, ruminate or get stuck on all the negative stuff and they rather than using it as an opportunity to like vent and express all your feelings. Cause they really do need to be expressed because they do all sorts of damage when they just stay locked up inside of us, but you express it all. And then I love what you said about you, you look for, you look for a way to reframe it. Either you look for things to be grateful for, or you say, you know, how can I look at this differently? Or, you know, what good might come out of this? Any of those types of kind of, moving yourself past it.
0: Yeah. It's, it's so powerful. It's, it's really changed things a lot for me. And I can almost tell when I'm starting to feel super anxious or stressed, I'm like, Oh, have I been keeping up my journaling? <laughs> and if not, I get back into it. And after, even after one session, I can feel better. But, but usually after like a few days, it starts to really allow me to, to let go and, and release a lot of that. And a lot of that, that worry about things that I can't control. like. It it really, really plays uh, a big, a big role in that. But I want to talk to you about Enneagrams. Um, So for anyone who doesn't know what they are, because I didn't know what they were until earlier this year. So tell us what they are and uh, like explain to us why they're so helpful. And then we'll kind of go into like some different, some different uh, personality types within the Enneagram.
1: Awesome. I love it. I love the Enneagram. I always it's always a challenge to me to try to explain it in any way that's succinct. But basically it's on the surface, it's a personality typing system like a lot of other ones that are out there like Myers-Briggs. So there's there's 9 types and then there's various subtypes too, but it's so much more than just a personality typing system. I really feel it's just a path to personal development. And one thing I've heard, like I've heard the Enneagram, like people say, oh, I don't want to be put in a box like that personality typing does. And I heard the Enneagram described as Enneagram doesn't put you in a box. It shows you the box that you're in. Basically, it points out the patterns of beliefs and thoughts and behaviors that you just fall into and just keep repeating and repeating and repeating. And you become aware of these tendencies that you have sort of based on your type. And then you can, you know, as you become, again, more aware of them, then you can see are there things that you want to change. So as you grow within the Enneagram, in a lot of ways, you become less like your type. Like it can be harder to type someone who's done a lot of growth work, right? It's
0: when we're really unhealthy that our types are so obvious. That's. I'm taking notes with that because I'm. I am loving your explanation. That's honestly probably the best way I've ever heard the Enneagram explained. Because I you never have, have. Hard to
1: explain too. I just like people will ask me, and I'll be like,
0: "Well, it's this."
1: And,
0: this. <laughs> and it's I so never awesome. know. It has
1: so much depth, and you can just go on with it forever. I just feel like you can. There's so much opportunity to understand yourself and understand others.
0: Well, and it was so funny, yeah. Because when I reached out to you, I had no idea that you had anything to do with with enneagrams, and I have actually been looking to talk to someone about enneagrams, and I didn't know who who to approach or who to go to. Because I, so I'll I'll link to the test to take the enneagram yourself uh, in the show notes, so anyone can can go and take it. There is a free version, but I prefer the paid version. It's only twelve bucks, so go take the paid version because it's totally worth it. And when I did the paid version, they then sent me. I think it was like it's like a forty or fifty page document, and I was so overwhelmed. I didn't know what to do with it, and I was interested. Like I wanted to learn more, but I'm like, I don't even know where to start with this. And then I started following some enneagram accounts on Instagram, and I'm like, oh okay, yeah, yeah. The the numbers that it assigned me, this makes sense because that is me to a T. Uh, it is a hundred percent what I'm like, and. So I'm actually I'm an eight, which is known as the challenger, followed by because then then like you said, there's subtypes. So they call them wings. Is that right?
1: Well, the wings are it's there's subtypes. There's wings, and then there's also something called a tri type, where you take a type from the the gut gut types and the head types and the heart types, which is kind of what you're you're talking about here with that oh. eight eight, six, one. So the eight is the, oh, it's not though. Cause eight and one are both body types. So that just must be like kind of how they ranked them for you. Like you came up mostly eight. So eight, eight and one, the only connection between them really is that they're both gut types.
0: Interesting. See, this is why I need to talk to somebody because I, I just, I don't fully understand it. I mean, we could do an entire podcast episode. I might have to you oh, back absolutely. on just for this. <laughs> I would
1: love to talk Enneagram. I,
0: I just love it. Oh, so good. So, I mean, maybe you can, um, before we jumped on, you were actually saying that, that when I said that I was an eight, that you were actually a little bit surprised just because you said that most eights are easier to pick out, but then you were also saying that sometimes it can almost be like like a hidden eight. So I'd love to hear your explanation for that, and then I want to hear more about what type you are as well and, and what, that can, what can that, that can end up meaning for us.
1: Sure. So I wish I had, had the source where I heard about this. So an eight, an eight typically presents as um, a real strong personality type and can be, if they're unhealthy, a little bit aggressive. They're known as the protector. So, you know, it's the guy that either stands up to the bully or it's the bully, kind of depending on, you know, where they're at in their growth. So I think that, I think that the other way I heard the eight described came from a book called The Complete Enneagram, but I'm not positive. But basically, that type of eight was more like, kind of one-like, oddly, kind of like on a mission, like they, they, uh, they saw themselves as protectors of more than just like their friends and families, but just like protectors of sort of what's right and wrong. Does that resonate at all with you as far as how you see yourself?
0: It does actually. Yeah, I could definitely see that because I, I am, um, it's funny, even in, even my, my therapist has actually pointed out before that I can be exceptionally protective of loved ones.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right, right. Yeah, that's really interesting. I it's the more I learn about it, the more it it resonates with me more and more often because I can just see so much of myself in it. So, so what are you? So my type is type one, which
1: you know different different enneagram teachers have different names for each of the type, but type one is commonly called the reformer. Trying to think of another another one that I like better than that there is another one that I like better than that but it's totally slipping my mind right now but basically the one is um they are actually the good girls and boys of the Enneagram they are really concerned about doing things right and can be really perfectionistic can be really rigid in you know their rules about themselves so just if you were to listen to this podcast through that lens, you might have heard me say some things that indicate my oneness in that. Um, yeah, that's what I'm going to say
0: about that for now. Okay. No, that's really cool. I think that there's just, there's so many different directions that we could take that. It's, I, I really strongly recommend that everyone go and take the test because it's really, really fascinating. And I mean, a big part of this is that there's a huge fear around letting people see all of us. I feel like and really getting to know us because we're usually worried that they won't like what they find. And I feel like one of the one of the biggest areas that people often do this is in romantic relationships because they're so afraid of losing their partner and that that their partner might not like them for who they really are, that they they basically keep a mask up and, and build a bit of a wall and that causes all kinds of issues long term. I mean, what what sort of an effect does this have on us like mentally, physically and emotionally? yeah, it has a huge effect, right? I
1: mean, it's it's exhausting to kind of play this game of show and tell with, with other people. Like, what are we going to let people see? What are we not going to let them see? So, you know, it just kind of, it can be really stressful, right? To try to keep parts of yourself covered up. It was interesting. I was doing a group coaching call last night and I was talking about, sort of the path to self-love and learning to accept ourselves flaws and all. And that's kind of coming up for me right now because I was using the example of like when you first fall in love with somebody, um, you know, and you're just in that infatuation stage and everything looks about them seems to be so amazing. You just can't get over what kind of person this person is. And then if you stick with that person, you really get to know them. You start to see their flaws, but that's when, that deeper version of love develops you know what I mean like when you when you start to pull the 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 curtain back right and really let people see you like the whole you the good the bad the ugly everything in between that's when people love you that's when people feel like they I I think I posted something on Instagram like you can't be truly loved unless you are truly known like when people just see this sort of two-dimensional, perfect version of us, they may admire, they may admire us, but they're not going to truly love us. And I'm wondering because I know you've been super honest and open on your podcast. Do you do you find this to be true that when you kind of pull back the curtain and let people see your struggles and see who you really are, that that's what draws them into you? That's what what makes them love you? Yeah, I,
0: I definitely find that. And it's interesting because, um, I was listening to, uh, Seth Godin on the, for anyone who doesn't know who's not in like the business world, Seth Godin is like the marketing guru of, of the business world, like the be all and end all. And he was on the Tim Ferris, uh, podcast, um, on the most recent episode with him anyway. And I, the reason why I bring this up is because he was talking about that. It can be a fine line that, you know, authenticity, the word authenticity and and vulnerability is sort of being thrown around a lot more lately. And that I, I do feel strongly that it can be an incredibly powerful bonding tool, like both in terms of just how I show up online to in my friendships, my relationships, all of those different things that it does create more of a bond. The other perspective that he was offering was that there is a line, especially, you know, as a professional that, yeah, you might not feel like showing up on that Facebook live today, or you might not want to write, uh, that, that email or whatever it is. But if you are so open and authentic that you just tell everyone, you know, like, well, I don't actually feel like doing this today, that then when are you a professional? He he, words this so much. Like I'm, I'm butchering what he said. No, but I totally get your point to that. Like there is definitely, you know, there's kind of. I guess
1: maybe what we were talking about there's a spectrum, just like there is with being the good girl or bad girl. You know, like yeah, you want to show up, you want to be real, and you want to be able to, to 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 show some of your humanness, but at the same time, it doesn't give you permission or or, or mean that it's a good idea. You know, to just not have any boundaries or filters or anything.
0: Exactly, exactly. And there still also need to be some things that, that you keep sacred as well. And I, I've talked about this on a previous uh, episode about um, the intimacy, like keeping, keeping certain intimate moments behind the curtain of social media. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll make sure to reference um, that episode as well. But I do find that the episodes where I am the most open and honest and vulnerable get the by far the biggest response but at the same time i mean again another aspect of that is that not every single thing that i put out into the world can be vulnerable because right. that would also be emotionally exhausting for me it would probably also be emotionally exhausting for everyone reading it i would imagine <laughs> like it has to come in 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 certain doses and that's going to look different based on each individual personality and each person's, you know, I don't even like saying like audience, but you know, people who yeah. are, it, it has to be based off of that because it is such a fine line. And I think that it can take some fine tuning to figure out what the best balance is for you.
1: Yes, definitely agree. And, and, and coming from a background of, of mental health counseling, you know, I was really, really taught to not share much of myself I mean a little self-disclosure is okay but definitely you're not laying it all out on the line you're kind of like you're supposed to have your your shit together and that's what makes you you know a, a a trustworthy counselor so it's really different like being a coach or feeling like oh I can remove that boundary for myself and let people see a little bit more
0: of me maybe not everything but definitely a lot more Exactly. Yeah. And I, I do think that it allows people to identify with us more because I experienced this for years before I, I got into business on in the online space. There were all kinds of people in the online space who I had been following for years that I totally had up on a pedestal. And then sometimes when I would start to see behind the curtain a little bit more, not even necessarily in terms of what they were sharing online, but you know if I actually met them in person or anything like that, which has happened a lot in the last uh, couple of years going to to live events and stuff that I never went to before. I realized they're just, they're just a person like they're human too. And even reaching out to some guests and stuff, some potential guests for the podcast. I, I teach women this when I'm, when I'm teaching them um, to start their own podcast is that ultimately when you're reaching out to someone that you might think is out of reach and has, you know, a far larger platform than, than you have or anything like that, the best thing to remember is just that they're human, like form a connection with them. Like you would with any other human being. I think we can get so tied up in putting people up on a pedestal that we forget that they, they're, they're a real person with real person, human experiences, just like us. Like they have their shit going on just like we do.
1: (laughs) So true. And it's so easy to forget that or, or think that, you know, some people don't have that going on, but we're really all in the same boat. We're
0: just kind of, doing the best we can right with this life so exactly well and and talk to I, I mean we're gonna wrap up in it in a few minutes but talk to us a little bit about cognitive behavior therapy because I have some experience with this uh, personally but you are actually like licensed to practice it and have a huge amount of, of experience with it so how do you use that in your actual practice and like are there certain techniques that, um, I mean, obviously you can't, you know, like give us a therapy session, on, but are there certain, uh-huh. uh, like aspects of it that you could maybe discuss with us or that we could apply in, in everyday life is sort of associated with anxiety or something like that? Yeah. So I'll first say that,
1: so like there are cognitive behavioral therapists who are trained to practice basically only cognitive behavioral therapy, and they go through a pretty structured session, like a therapy session with a cognitive behavioral therapist would be very structured. But a lot of therapists like me love some of the ideas and techniques of cognitive behavioral therapy, but we use it a little more loosely. So if you were having a session with me, you wouldn't necessarily be noticing that I'm using cognitive behavioral theory in what I'm doing. Basically, the way I see it is the importance of cognitive behavioral therapy is teaching us to become aware of how our thoughts and our beliefs affect our actions or our behaviors, like why you do the things you do, why you feel the way you feel about things. You you really have to go inside and learn to become aware First of all, sort of what you're saying to yourself, like words are really important. And I don't know how much work you've done around like your self-talk and stuff, Emily, but a lot of us are really, really hard on ourselves and we're really, really hard and judgmental on others too. And cognitive behavioral therapy asks us to kind of take those thoughts and look at them and question them and challenge them and ask are these true? Are these thoughts helpful for us? Are they making our life easier? Or are they making our life harder? And, um, you know, I'm sure Aaron Beck, who's the founder of CBT, would roll over in his grave if he heard me say this, but I kind of see it as like the psychological version of law of attraction. So it's kind of like, you know, the thoughts that you believe and follow and put out into the world, that's what's going to come back at you. So if you change your thoughts, right, if you change your inner experience and you start to work on uncovering some of your deeper beliefs, how you experience the outer world is going to change.
0: Mm, that's so interesting. And yeah, it, it's, I've definitely, um, I working on my self-talk is definitely an ongoing thing because yeah. I talk to a lot of women about it and I'm definitely far more aware of it than I've ever been at any other point in my life. But I can, I can sometimes feel myself start to go down that rabbit hole and I have to catch myself. And that, that's where really like, again, that awareness is so crucial because when you can become aware of it, that's when you can change it. But if you aren't even aware of it and uh-huh. you're, you're not paying attention to it, that's where you're really going to run into problems because that's when that just becomes factual for you, that if you say that that exactly. you're a bitch, that, that you are actually a bitch or right. a, a jerk or whatever, like how, whatever terminology, I hope you're not talking to yourself like that, like <laughs> for anyone listening, but that we all will have those moments where we're like, Oh, that was so stupid. What was I thinking? And you know, what, was it really that stupid? Like maybe you were just acting the best way you knew how with the, with the facts or the experience that you were being given to. Yeah, and I mean, that's the other part. The other part that you're becoming
1: aware of is all the stuff that's going on in your head, all the stories that you create, the stories that you create about what happened in the past, the stories you create about what might happen in the future. Like once you start to become aware of how often you're just caught up in something just in your head, it doesn't even exist. You're anxious about an upcoming meeting or you're worried that you came across as a jerk and you know, at lunch yesterday, it's not being present, right? It's, it's totally in your head, but your body is experiencing all the stuff that those thoughts are generating sort of as if it's happening. So you can feel anxious or depressed or
0: upset or angry. So interesting. Yeah. There's so many directions that that we could go with that. I'm I'm glad that I, that I had a chance to bring that up with you because I, I think that Um, cognitive behavior therapy could uh, potentially be a a good fit, like to work through with an actual therapist or something, um, depending on on what it is that you're dealing with in your personal life. So that's, that's really helpful. So Kimberly, let us know where, where we can find you. Right. So my website is KimberlyPageLifestyle.com
1: and page is spelled P-A-I-G-E, Kimberly, just with the Y, no E. And um, on Instagram, I think Emily's going to put that link in the podcast notes. Yes. And then also I have a Facebook page, which is uh, Kimberly Page Life or Lifestyle. I'm not sure. Did I send you that?
0: that you did. That? Yes. Not word. to worry. I don't I'll remember that for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It'll all be in the show yeah. notes too. <laughs> you can
1: make my blog posts on my website. And then like Emily says, I've been posting a lot of, a lot of excerpts from blogs or just other random usings on my Instagram page.
0: Awesome. Okay. And one last question is if you could off people, offer people one piece of advice on growing into the best possible version of themselves, what would it be?
1: Hmm. I would say, um, do, do the inner work, like practice becoming aware of what's going on in your head. I think that's the biggest thing. If I could just say, just do this one thing. I would say start to really pay attention to what's going on in your head and questioning the truth of it. You know you know how some people, can, like two people can watch the same event happen and have like vastly different interpretations of what just happened? Like this happens a lot in families where you're like remembering something that happened and there's totally different interpretations. That's what our mind does. It takes what we see and it filters it through all of our past experiences and then shapes it shapes it into a story that makes sense to us so we kind of give it meaning and that's where we can get in lots of trouble if we're not aware that we're doing that with everything if we're aware of it then we can look at it question it and be like well are there other possible interpretations am i making assumptions here so that would be my one my one thing
0: no, I love that. That's great. That's a perfect way to wrap up. Kimberly, thank you so much. I'm so appreciative of you taking the time and you are just doing some awesome, awesome work. So I'm really excited for everyone to to go check you out. And yeah, thank you for this this conversation. I've loved every minute. <laughs> oh,
1: thank you, Emily. It's been so much fun talking to you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Room to Grow podcast today. All show notes and references can be found over at roomtogrowpodcast.com. And can you do me one huge favor before you go though? If you can take take a screenshot of this episode and tag me on social media, I would absolutely love to see who's listening and get to connect with you and thank you. And if you could leave a review on iTunes, that would go a long way and make such a huge difference. It really helps to get the word out there, get more amazing guests on the show and helps to get all of this information out to the world. Looking forward to growing with you.